everybody that is a part of that. Uh, if your Bibles are open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, can you put a marker in there? And we are going to come back to that uh, during the course of the message and uh, a lot of scriptures that I'd like to take you to this evening. When our Savior walked this earth in his teaching and in his preaching, he often used parables to illustrate those various truths. A parable has been defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Of all of the parables, one of the most haunting of those to me is found in Luke chapter 12. If you can turn there quickly in your Bibles, Luke chapter number 12. Um, and we're going to start, if you would please, in verse number 15. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The parable of the rich fool. Now, oftentimes we hear this message used in the context of, uh, of somebody that uh, never plans for eternity and never gets saved. But I want you to understand, Jesus was not preaching a salvation message. This was a message about covetousness. Somebody living their life for what's, what's in it for me, what can I get? Uh, this is a sermon about covetous living. James chapter 4 and verse 14, there's a familiar verse that says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. This verse is also used many times talking about the brevity of life and it's used as a soul winning or salvation type message. But this wasn't a message in a verse written to unsaved people. James was written to believers. James addresses his readers over and over again as my brethren. This is for Christians, uh, and this, this verse about our life being a vapor that appears for a little time is written to save people who were living for today, saying today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and we will buy and sell and get gain and so forth. And James says, whereas ye know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. People living for today, li living for here and now, rather than realizing this life is but for a moment, what comes next is what is the most important. And it's not about salvation. They'd settled that. It was about what's waiting for you on the other side, what's waiting for you in heaven, treasures in heaven or not. Our theme this year is living with eternity in view. 
Over the years, uh, staff guys have gotten together, and especially when Tim was here, so dad, what's your theme next year? I need to get banners ready. And, and we'd sit and kind of toy around with some ideas and so forth. And, and I, I'm, they're okay. Themes are fine. I don't usually follow through. I preach once or twice on them, and then I'm on to something else. That's kind of my makeup. But I have a burden about this year's theme, living with eternity in view. Uh, as most of you are like myself, we're watching events around the world and we can, we can almost not keep up with them anymore. Didn't the Savior teach us in Matthew 24 that in the last days there are going to be earthquakes in diverse places? Do you realize Japan had a 7.6 earthquake this week? New York City had a 1.7 earthquake this week. Um, Iceland is having all kinds of earthquakes and it appears like they are, they may be even right now in the midst of a volcanic eruption. Um, pestilences everywhere, uh, wars and rumors of war. Uh, the whole world has got their guns aimed at that little country in the Middle East named Israel about the size of the state of New Jersey. I can see them wanting to get rid of New Jersey, but, but Israel, really? Um, and I, I think we're living there. I know this much. The book of Romans tells us that now is our salvation nearer than when we first believe. Um, if we're going to do anything for God, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, it's going to be now or it may, it may be never. And we're going to be stepping out into eternity faster than we think living with eternity in view. Turn to Psalm chapter 90. If you would please, Psalm chapter 90. The title of this psalm, and, and that is in the original, is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. This may be the oldest of all of the psalms that were written. We're going to pick it up in verse number 9, where Moses said, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. He was wandering with the children of Israel for 40 years trapped with them because of their unbelief. The promised land that they should have gone into a long time before is now 40 years in the future. So he says, again, all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Once upon a time, there was, and pretty soon comes to the end. The days of our years are threescore years and 10 and if, re, if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It doesn't matter whether you live in wealth or poverty, life is brief. And we spend our years as a tale that is told. And your story may be a, a tragedy or a triumph, but pretty soon the, the end is going to come and we soon fly away. For those of you who are in, in my age bracket, can you believe we're this old? I, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Medicare for crying out loud. Uh, I, I can sign up for Social Security. Um, I, I was with, uh, I met a young man at the gym. Uh, he is, uh, he's from... Um, the Dominican Republic. He is a, he's actually a, a semi-professional baseball player. 
Uh, and he's got the very cool, rich accent from the Dominican Republic. And he was helping spot for me uh, over at the edge. And we were chatting just a, a little bit. And he saw the leg and wanted to know what happened there. And, and, and we were just kind of sharing back and forth. And, and, and uh, I, I don't know what he said. I said something. And I said, oh, you're too young to have aches and pains like that. He goes, well, you're young too. I said, oh, man, you're on my Christmas card list. And he said, well, you really are young. He said, how old do you think I am? He said, maybe you're mid-40s. Here's my new best friend. We're pen pals. You know, we're, we're going to go out to eat together. I mean, he's, he's, he's all that in a bag of chips. But how did I get here? Um, there, there, our days are soon cut off and, and we fly away. Moses made that statement. So he says, understanding the brevity of life, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom, so that we might put our hopes and our time and our talent and treasure in those things which really matter. That truth motivated Moses. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. He didn't just write it down in a passage of Scripture. The Bible says that is the, 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 the uh, principle, if you will, by which Moses lived his life. In the great faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, the Bible says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, he's 40 years of age now, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was a prestigious title. He, he lived in a palace. The book of Acts tells us that he was skilled in all the learning and wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses knew how they built the pyramids. Even today, they can only guess at how they got those massive blocks of stone uh, up, up onto those peaks. Uh, nobody knows, but Moses did. Moses understood all of those things. Uh, again, verse 24, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses understood that uh, the Egyptians may have been the most vaunted uh, nation on earth at that time. Uh, even as we go through their ruins, we see grandeur and splendor uh, on a scale that we can barely comprehend. When 1922, when Howard Carter and his team unearthed the tomb of King Tutankhamun, the world was astounded at the gold and all the treasures that were stuffed into the four or five rooms of that tomb, that the wealth, it was staggering to, to our modern day sensibilities. Moses could have had all of that and all of the sin that was part of that culture. But the Bible says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. In other words, I want to make sure that I'm on the right team. He could have enjoyed Egypt. He could have just let it all go. But he realized there were things more important. He goes on to say, esteeming the reproach of Christ, being mocked, going through hardness because of the fact that you are a follower of the Lord God. He esteemed that greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He knew that one day he would stand before God and living for God, even if it meant suffering because of that lifestyle, would one day in God's presence bring a great reward that cannot be taken away. The pharaohs of Egypt believed that they needed to be buried with all of the wealth and the needs that they had for the afterlife. 
That is why they had vessels of gold, chests filled with gold uh, and, and jewels and so forth. Uh, they had chairs. They had, they had gaming boards. They even mummified their own servants. They mummified their, pet, uh, their pets and so forth. Uh, they had clothing buried with them. These, his rooms were stuffed wall to wall, floor to ceiling with things that he need for the afterlife. Well, he went to the afterlife and all his stuff stayed behind so that we can look at it in museums today. And you realize that if Moses would have chosen that life, that's all he would have had. He would have left it all behind and gone out into eternity with nothing. Moses said, nah, I'd rather have nothing here and have everything there. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is telling us about. Careful study of the 11th chapter of Hebrews, that faith chapter reveals to us that a true walk of faith is always fixed on the future, especially the eternal future, living with eternity in view. Would you like to, I'd like you to understand some very simple principles based on this teaching tonight. We'll look at, at several more scriptures here in a moment. Number one, living with eternity in view changes how we view our time. It changes how we, uh, we view our time. Again, we read in Psalm chapter 90, I won't make you turn there again. All our days are spent away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. And Moses sums it all up. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Nobody gets to live yesterday over again. Once it's gone, it's gone forever and it's not coming back. What are you going to do with it? Today is almost done. In another five hours and 40 minutes, uh, Sunday, January the 7th, will be in the history book. And there's, there's no way to change anything that we have said, thought, felt, or done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. It, it's all done. And time is flying. Before we know it, the alarm's going off and we'll wake up. We'll go about our duties tomorrow. And the next thing you know, it'll be time to pillow our head. And then we start it all over again on Tuesday. And it won't be long and it'll be New Year's again. We tease about how many shopping days are left till Christmas, but there aren't that many because they're going to fly. That's the way life works. And the truth is, you young people, the older you get, the faster time is going to fly. It's going to be that way. When we live with eternity in view, we realize one of these days, this is all done. This is all done. Then I step into eternity that is never finished. It is everlasting. It is exactly what the name says. It is eternal. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the verses we read with the Apostle Paul. He says to us while we, in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen. He said, we're not focusing on the things we can see with our human eye. Cars and vacation homes and clothes and sports and all those things. He's not saying there's anything wrong with that. He said, that's not our focus. But at the things which are not seen. I've never seen heaven, but I believe in heaven. I've never seen a street made of gold, but I believe that they exist. I've never seen an angel. I've never heard one sing, but I believe that someday that I will. Uh, Paul said, we're not looking at the things of this world and this life that can be seen with the human eye. We're looking at the things which are not seen. And he explains why. For the things which are seen are temporal. Give me another word for temporal, church. Temporary. Temporary. Isn't it awesome to get a new car? How many have ever had a new car? Isn't it kind of fun? 
And, you know, nobody's allowed to eat in our new car until the baby throws up just once. And then it's kind of, it's been baptized. Y'all can have a French fry now, uh, that type of thing. And we wash it and we wax it and, and we take good care of it as we should. But you understand that every new car that's uh, rolling off the, uh, the assembly line now is going to be in a junkyard not long from now. I understand that there is a massive place somewhere out in either New Mexico or Arizona where Teslas go to die because the batteries are so expensive, it's cheaper just to junk them and, than, than to have a new battery put in the thing. And uh, I know we got some folks in our church that drive them. I hear they're fun to drive. I hear they got some get up and go. I'm not against them at all. The Lord's blessed. I drive a nice car. I, I have a hybrid. Uh, you can stick with your 25 miles to a gallon. I get 45 and 55 miles to a gallon. Thank you very much. And all of that. And I, I like my car, but one day it'll be in a junkyard somewhere. So one day my pretty little car is going to be all crushed into a little cube, uh, you know, in some car crusher somewhere. Uh, everything in this world is temporal. It is temporary. Um, Paul said, that's why we don't look at the things that are seen. We're looking at the things that are eternal. Again, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When we're living for eternity, it changes how we view our time. It helps us understand if we're going to win someone to Christ, if we're going to win souls, we have to do it now. Because our life, not just the life of that person that's lost, our life is as a vapor. James wasn't writing to unsaved people. He was writing to us as believers. Our lives are but a vapor. And if we don't witness to that person now, we might be the one that's taken out of here and uh, their chance at a witness is lost. Y'all know some people that I'm praying for. And I'm, I'm heavily, heavily burdened about their salvation. I'm looking for every opportunity in every encounter that I have. Lord, give me a chance to get the gospel in again. Lord, open the door. Let me be able to say a word about this. Let me be able to do it now because I don't know if I have tomorrow. He might have a, a, a thousand tomorrows or 10,000 tomorrows, but I might have none. I might have one. Um, if we're going to serve God, we need to do it now. If we're going to win souls, do it now. If we're going to make a difference in somebody's life, we're going to have to do it now. If we're going to make our marriage work, if we're going to make our family be what God wants it to be, we're going to have to do it now. Moms and dads, when your kids are little, uh, that's the time to spend time with them. That's the time to train them when they can't catch a ball. You know, you kind of toss it to them and, and just gently lob it and it smacks them in the face and they go run crying to mommy. He hit me with a ball. Most, a lot of dads don't want to mess with their, their sons when they're little bitty guys like that. They're going to wait till they're teenagers, but I got news for you. You wait till then your teenage son won't want anything to do with you because when he wanted you, you didn't want anything to do with him. Now's the time. Because you see, if we're not going to reach our kids for Christ, the world will reach our kids for Satan. That's just the way it's going to work. Um, if, if we're living for eternity, it puts everything, our time, in a different point of view. Last evening, Anna came upstairs and she said, Dad, could you talk to Tommy? And uh, she said, he's asking some big questions. He, he's, he's talking to us about heaven and being saved and so forth. So she brought Tommy up and he sat down beside me 
And uh, so I started asking him some questions and uh, he, he wanted to know about being saved. Well, what does being saved mean? Uh, and he, he had some very good answers for me uh, and so forth. And it's one of those moments, I, and I watched as we started getting closer to the heart of the thing. Well, Tommy, have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever sinned? No, 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 no. I need to leave. I need to leave. I need to leave. And, you know, uh, you know we, we went so far, but it's one of those things. You could tell that little kid's under conviction. His understanding's not there 100%, but it's getting closer and closer and closer. We can't squander those times. We got to realize now is the time. When you're living for eternity, it just changes how we view time. A lot of people saying, someday I will, and you fill in the blank. Well, if you're living for eternity, realize I might not get that someday, not according to the Bible. So if I'm going to do something that lasts beyond my lifetime, that steps into eternity with me, I'm going to have to do it today. Living for eternity, number two, will change the way we view our treasures. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, in verse number 19. Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of life. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. The Savior's Thomas, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, but rather in heaven. He gives an illustration in verse number 22 about that that always puzzled me. He's talking about, putting treasures in heaven rather than the earth. And he goes on to say, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy, body shall, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Is anybody besides me ever puzzled on what he means by that? Okay, we're going to do a church experiment. Okay, how many know how to cross your own eyes? How many can do that? okay. I want you to cross your eyes. Cross your eyes. Do, are you doing it? What do you see? I saw my nose. Okay. When, when your eyes are crossed, you, you have a hard time focusing on, on anything that's going on around you. Could you imagine driving your car with your eyes crossed? Um, again, he's talking about if your eye be single, when, when your eyes cross, you're looking in two different directions. You're kind of going this way all at the same time. And our brains aren't designed to process that kind of information. Uh, so it's the idea, look one way or look the other, but you can't look both. So Jesus teaching here is you need to decide what you're living for. You need to decide, are you living for treasures down here? Well, if you are, you need to understand that they're not going to last. Moth and rust are going to corrupt them. Thieves are going to break through and steal them. Inflation's going to set in and the value is going to go downhill. 
Um, interest rates are going to rise and what you thought you had isn't going to be worth as much as you thought you had. Uh, and all of that, he said, because if that's what you're living for, that's what you got. And then one day when you die, they don't have U-Hauls following hearses unless you're an Egyptian. And then they kill the guy that drove the U-Haul and bury him with you. That's how they did it in the days of the pharaohs. He said, you can live for this, but it doesn't last. But you can take your treasures and you can invest them in the things of God and you can live for heaven. And he said, thieves don't break through and steal. Moth and rust do not corrupt. It's forever and ever and ever. Now, when we think of treasures, oftentimes we think of money, but a treasure could be our time. It could be our talent and it could be our treasures. It was missionary Jim Elliott while he was in Bible college, long before the world ever knew who he was, long before he would ever give his life for the cause of Christ in the jungles of Ecuador. In his journal, Jim Elliott penned the words, only one life so soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's never been a truer statement penned by a human being than that one. When we're living for with eternity in view, it changes how we view our treasures, changes it. Um, 13 years ago, uh, the Lord enabled me to write a little book about some of the uh, experiences that God led us through, some of the trials. Uh, many of you have got it, you've read it, uh, When the Touch of God Hurts. Uh, about a year or so after the book was published, uh, I was invited to preach at a church. And when I walked in uh, to the lobby of the church, the pastor was there to greet me. And I couldn't help but notice that directly across from the main door uh, in the lobby, standing against the wall, there was a man. He looked to be about my age. Uh, he was standing there and I could tell that he had a copy of, of my book in his hand. Uh, and he's kind of standing there and he's kind of bouncing on his heels uh, up and down like like this kind of half nervous, half excited and so forth. And I, I, I greeted the pastor and we, we chatted for just a moment. And he said, there's somebody over here that wants to talk to you. And so we went over and the pastor introduced me. The gentleman's name was Al. He said, Al, Al just wants to talk to you. So I'm going to leave you two guys alone and, and, and let you uh, uh, share a little bit of time together. And the first words out of Al's mouth were, he said, you saved my life. I'd never met him before. I said, what do you mean I saved your life? He said, I've had health problems for decades. And he had had, by, at that time, he had had several dozen major surgeries for the health issues that he had. Um, he's in heaven now. Before he went to heaven, uh, he would have a number, uh, probably another eight or ten surgeries, including the amputation of one of his legs. He said... Um, uh, not, not all that long ago, he said, I gave up on life. I gave up on life. And he said, I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my kids. I didn't tell the pastor, nobody. But I decided that I was going to end my own life. He wasn't a bad person. He was just a person who didn't see hope. He just couldn't, he couldn't imagine living another day, another year with the kind of pain and, and no prospects that things were going to get better. He said, uh, one day my wife came home from work. I believe that she was a nurse. And when she, she collected the mail from the mailbox, she brought it in. And he said, there was a little package in there addressed to me. 
And she said, Al, you got some mail. And she gave it to me. And he said, at first, I just kind of set it down. I didn't care uh, uh, what was inside it or not. But eventually he said, I tore it open and someone had sent me a copy of your book. He said, I'm not even sure who it was. Somebody just sent me a copy of your book. He said, I, I wasn't in the frame of mind to read anything. Um, he said, I, I was dead set on, I just went out of this life. I'm tired of this life. I don't want any more of it. He said, so I just set it on the stand beside the, the, uh, the sofa or beside my chair. And I, I didn't think about it. He said, but that night, he said, I couldn't sleep. He said, I, I don't often sleep or sleep well. And so I went back out into the living room and sat down in my chair and I noticed that book there and I just picked it up and I started reading. He said, and I started reading on the first page and he said, I finished that book within the next two or three hours. He said, I couldn't put it down until I finished the entire book. And he said, when I put it down, I was a new man. He said, God, use your story. God, use your testimony. God, use the scriptures you shared to help me understand that um, God never leaves us, never forsakes us, that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. He said, I'm alive today because you wrote that little book. I was blown away. Um, even recounting the story, I, I find it almost astounding. One person, one little book. Years ago, when Trina and I moved here, this is in this church where we became acquainted with the subject of faith promise giving. Never in any of the churches that I, I was in, including Bible college, were faith promise, uh, was faith promise a part of the missions program. We supported missionaries in the church that I pastored in Pennsylvania, but it all came out of the general fund uh, as, as we had funds available. But the idea of faith promise was a new concept. I learned that here. And Trina and I quickly saw that it was a biblical concept. Paul in Philippians 4 commended that church at Philippi how that once and again they had given unto his necessities from the time he started their church. It appears that they, they kept track of his ministry and they, they would take little offerings and they were a poor church. They were a suffering church, but they would take offerings and send one of their members to wherever Paul was and deliver it to him. And, and Paul's in prison at Rome and said, and, and, and I, I just received of Epaphroditus uh, your latest gift. And he said, you've, you've done that over and over again to me. He said, not that I speak in respect of want. He said, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. But he said this, but he said, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He said, it's not about you giving me money to, to buy food or clothes or whatever. He said, it's about you investing in the ministry God's called me to do. And everybody that gets saved is fruit that goes on your account. Trina and I got involved in Faith Promise. And I, I don't remember what we, uh, we committed to on the first year that we had a missions conference here, um, but, but we were trusting the Lord for it and we were excited about it. And every year, I've told you before, we would pray during missions conference uh, about what we should give in the following year. And God always brought us to the exact same number. And here we are uh, 25 and a half years later and, and, and uh, she's in heaven now and I'm, I'm still a part of Faith Promise. And what I give is between me and the Lord, but I do believe as pastor, I have a responsibility to set an example. Uh, my faith promise is today more than my tithe. 
and I tithe and I give more than that to faith promise in addition to my tithe. Um, and you say, why? That number right up there. 594,018. That's the number that I can take you to a record book. We can go back through the missions letters. And if you want to take the time over the last 20 years or so and read every one and recount them, you'll find out that that is an accurate number of the people that are missionaries have won to Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. Just think about this for a moment. I wrote one little book and I, I met one man who walked up to me one night about a year later and said, you saved my life. And that blew me away. I don't even remember what I preached on that night because I couldn't just, I, I couldn't get off the fact that God used something that, that I did to help somebody in such a desperate situation. Think about this for a moment. One day I am going to go to heaven. And when all of this mess down here is all said and done and all of us are in heaven together, do you realize I'm going to have some 600,000 encounters with people that said, I got saved because you gave money to help Brian Nibby to get to Romania and, and Brian led me to Christ. Or I, or I got saved because you gave your faith promise to, to Nick Malucci and he came to Bulgaria and he served faithfully and, and he put gospel tracts in every door in the whole country of, of Bulgaria and, and I got saved reading one of those gospel tracts. Or, or I'm in heaven today because you sent John Mason over to the Philippines and, and you supported him in, in your faith promise and I'm saved because he traveled halfway around I'm going to have some 600,000 or more conversations like that by the way so are you if you've been a part of faith promise now I know believers uh, several years ago some ninny posted something on on Facebook it looked like it was a picture of a mimeographed page how many remember mimeographs we're, we're talking, you know, Noah used them on the ark type thing. And it was, it was this ridiculous thing about how faith promise is just a plot by pastors to get more money from you. And, and by the way, we had a couple of people from our church liked it. And, and that, that, that disheartened me. This was some years ago. And I thought, it's a plot for me to get money from you for What? What am I getting out of it? Uh, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't get a dime from Faith Promise. None of our staff members do. 100% of the money that comes into Faith Promise goes to missionaries. 100%. We don't have administrative fees and all that. 100%. So how is that a plot for me to get money from you? I, I just thought, you know, there's stupid people born every day and you can't fix stupid. That's not what it's about. It's a biblical principle about laying up treasures in heaven. Say, so do, you, do you miss the money that you've given in 25 years to faith promise? Not at all. Not at all. Well, just think what you could buy if you had that. I don't know. I, I, I had food today. I'll sleep in a safe, warm house tonight. I've got clothes. Um, and, and by the way, uh, Philippians 4.19, in response to their giving, God made this promise. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not every Christian can claim that. That's not like, uh, you know, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Any believer can claim that. Philippians 4.19, that's for the ones that give to the work of the ministry. I can claim that. And by the way, God always keeps his word. 
I, I told you before, tonight I'm wearing a $70,000 leg. $70,000. Insurance was supposed to pay 50%. I was supposed to pay 35 For some reason that even Hanger Clinic doesn't understand, insurance paid all of it. I wanted a running blade. They cost somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000. Insurance will not spring for them. I didn't have that kind of money laying around, but I still have a running blade out in my car. And it was free, and I didn't pay a dime for it. And it's top of the line. You say, what are you talking about? My God shall supply all your need, and in my case, even, even some wants now and then. When we're starting to live with eternity in view, it changes how we look at our treasure. Are we living for now in money and what I can get with that money now? Or are we investing it into eternity where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt? One last thing, and we'll go to 2 Corinthians 4, and I'll be finished tonight. Living for eternity changes the way we view our time and our treasures and our troubles. Our troubles. In our opening verses, we read with Brother Carson. I was so happy when he said, did I tell you Chronicles or Corinthians? Carson, welcome to my world. Welcome to your future. Look what Paul says. We're troubled on every side. I've had some times of trouble, but I can't say it's always been on every side or ever been on every side. There's always been a bright something in my life. Paul said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. We have more questions. We do answers, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. This is one of two or three places where Paul recounts the things that he suffered. Paul's not complaining. The text proves that to us. Paul's not whining. He's not crying the blues. He's not asking his readers to feel sorry for him because you come down to verse 16, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, when you know what Paul went through and he called it a light affliction, I know people that if they get a hangnail, they want the church to have a day of prayer and fasting for them. They think the world has come to an end. With everything Paul went through, he said, it's a, it's a light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Again, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Please understand that when we're living with eternity in view, we even see our trials and our difficulties in a different way. We see that God's got a plan and a purpose. God wants to use us and what we're going through to minister to other people. Um, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be God and, and our Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may comfort everyone. Uh, with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, God put us through some trials and, and he, he gave us comfort and help and hope. And now we're able to go out to anybody else in a trial and say, this is what God did for me and this is what God will do for you. We serve a good God. And, and Paul said, we're just rejoicing about all of that. This morning, I arrived here at the church about 540 or 545 by the way, thank you, Robert Tarquino. I think he plowed our 
church parking lot insulted three or four times today. Rob and Adam were insulting and shoveling sidewalks and, and so forth. And Rob was out there getting the plow truck going. And, and I don't usually do this on a Sunday morning early, but for some reason, uh, I just opened up the Facebook. I was trying to get an, a, a grasp on weather conditions and, and uh, whether to post some things or not. And there was a, a message for me from one of my amputee support pages on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm on about a half a dozen or so. And it was from a, of an individual uh, who just said, I'm, I'm so tired of this. He said, I am tired of being a burden to everyone in my entire life. And I don't see any future in this. I don't see any hope in this. And it was something that had been posted. It was 5.40 or 5.45 in the morning here. It had only been up online for a matter of a few minutes when I saw that. Um, uh, other people had already seen it. A lot of people had some great, encouraging, helpful comments on there. But it was a joy to be able to sit down for just a little bit as somebody that's been there, done that, experienced that, gone through that, and found God's help in the middle of that. And I, I took the time and I wrote a, a fairly large comment on there with some things. Um, and without trying to be preachy or anything like that, just to be a help and a blessing. Do you understand when we're living with eternity, it, it changes how we view our trials. Would I rather have two whole legs? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's plan. So I can decide to be miserable till my time here is done, or I can look at it and say, God's got something in store for this. And I want to let God use it for however he sees fit. And when we understand that, like Paul does, we're no longer looking at the things that are seen. We're realizing, yeah, I see a prosthetic limb. God sees an opportunity for outreach for other people. And that, that's already resulted in some amputees getting saved. It's resulted in, in, in several coming to church. Uh, it's resulted in, in several people around the country being able to have an influence on them. We were at a... At a and I was at an amputee support meeting this last Thursday evening, and uh, there were some of the people on there that joined us via Zoom. They, they couldn't get in. Uh, one of the gentlemen lives um, somewhere in Massachusetts. I want to say near Worcester, Mass., uh, something like that. And uh, so he, he's on. He could see us. We could see him. He's listening to the conversation going on in the room. And all of a sudden, there was this lull in our conversation. And this guy, his, his first name is Mark. He goes, Tom Bish, is that you? And I, I'm looking up there and I said, yeah. And he gave me his last name. It's someone that I've been talking to on the phone for two years. I've never met him in person. I've been talking to him for two years. We've prayed together on the phone. Uh, he's, a, he's a double amputee, one above the knee, one below the knee uh, and so forth. And I, I'm just kind of sitting there thinking, I'd never seen his face before, so it didn't dawn on me as the Zoom meeting was going on uh, that, that that's who it was. Uh, you know, when you start living with eternity in view, you're going to find out God's going to use you in ways to influence and touch and help people's lives as never before. But if all we do is live for now, we don't understand any of that. One last place. Can you go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we'll be finished? Second Peter chapter one. I believe it's a sad commentary on Christianity today that a lot of Christians never grasp this. We are so caught up 
in the rat race of the world. By the way, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car and a nice home. Um, and no, there's nothing wrong with taking vacations and, and, and so on and so forth, uh, as long as that's not all you're living for. Look what Peter says, verse number three. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God's given us everything we need, if you will, to live a victorious Christian life. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance or self-control, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. We talked about that in the subject of vision this morning. Some about believers now. A believer that's living for spiritual things. That person's going to be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But the person that they don't, they don't even understand that they're living for the here and now, they're living for themselves. The Bible says they are blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his, own, his old sins. I don't want to be the person described in verse number nine that all I care about is now. What's in it for me? I know people who choose the church they attend based on who's going to have the party. If there's food, that's where they're going to church. How about this is where God wants me to be and I'm going to get planted and I'm going to, I'm going to serve the Lord in that church. What, what happened to that? Church isn't about parties. It's about serving Christ. Uh, we, we, we've got a non-committal mentality in Christianity today where we want to be in and out and off and on and, and, and hot and cold and, and we don't want to take on a ministry because that means that I've got to be there and that means that I've got to be faithful and, and all of that. Why don't we just change that mentality and say, Christ is everything and he deserves everything that I can give him. 2024 Heritage Baptist Church, more than it's ever been in our history, we need to start living with eternity in view because eternity is a whole lot closer than it's ever been. It's a whole lot closer than we think. This theme is gonna be carried in, in almost everything that we do. Our couples conference in February, the theme is loving with eternity in view. Our marriages are more than just for our pleasure or our, our companionship. Uh, we're influencing the next one or two or three or four generations. And our marriages are the foundations of that. Um, our missions conference is giving with eternity in view. And this theme just, it needs to become a part of our lives. So as I did this morning, I'm, I'm calling on us as Heritage Baptist Church. Are we willing to commit ourselves to letting God give us a, a new look to where we're looking at eternity. Is this gonna matter for God? How many of you are saved and know it? You got that settled. You're gonna spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. The question is then for you and I, are there gonna be any treasures in heaven for us or did we just not live for things that put treasures up there? Are we all about the almighty dollar and what it buys us 
or about investing our time, our talent, our treasure, our prayer, our love, our affections, our hopes in that which is eternal. Can we bow our heads for prayer? Father in heaven.